So, you know, I, uh, you probably hear me talk a lot, but I love um, coaching baseball. I love coaching softball. It's a big piece of what I do uh, with my free time. Uh, you'll, you'll see me, if you follow me on Instagram much, you'll see pictures of my kids, and the hashtag is always like Jesus and baseball, because that's like what we do, Jesus and baseball, right? And I, I love coaching. It's one of the greatest joys of my life. I love the game of baseball. Uh, it is, uh, um, I love all sports. Uh, I love football. I love basketball. I love golf. Um, I don't love hockey, um, but I try to watch it. I try. I just, they move the ball around, the puck around too fast. I can't see it. It's just, it's gone. I try to watch soccer, but I have a philosophy on soccer that no one agrees with. Uh, I figure we should try to shoot the ball a hundred times a game and I just need 3% to go in and I'll win almost every game, but no one else agrees with that either. Um, so, but I love all sports, but baseball is my first love. I love to play it. I love to coach it. It's peaceful. It relaxes me. Unless I'm coaching, I tend to get a little wound up at times. Uh, uh, but I love doing what we do. And so as I was studying coaches and, and studying how to get better, I was thinking about today, and we were praying about our sermon today, and I was looking at the life of Jesus, and I realized that uh, being a good father, being a good parent, is much like being a good coach. And I want to challenge you today. I want to look at the life of Jesus, who I believe was the greatest coach ever. And I want to look at the life of Jesus And I want to learn four lessons from the greatest coach ever. Four lessons on coaching from the greatest coach that ever lived. You say, well, I'm not a father. This doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. If you're a follower of Christ, these will apply to you. You can learn something today. But I especially want to speak to men. I especially want to speak to fathers. So we're going to pick up this morning in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, I'm sorry, not Luke chapter 4, Matthew, Mark chapter 4. I'm going to get it right, one of those Gospels. Are you all all right this morning? Okay, give, give me a break. I've got a big thing hanging around my neck. Mark 4.35, Mark 4.35. If you're there with me, say amen. Uh, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples... Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Father, I thank you for your presence that's here today. I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to speak to us, to talk with us, to help us, to empower us. Lord, as we open your word today, I pray you would challenge us with it. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our spirits to learn from what you would say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. First base. First thing that every great coach does is every great coach teaches. Every great coach teaches. Jesus was a teacher. Notice here in in Mark chapter 4, they referred to him as teacher, which they often did. Because Jesus taught 
in the good times and he taught in the bad times. When Jesus had just fed the 5,000 and the crowds were shouting and wanting to make him king, when they were at the peak of their ministry, Jesus took that time to keep teaching. And right here in Mark, in Mark chapter 4, when they're in the midst of a storm and it's raging, and the Bible says that the water was filling up the boat with them, Jesus took that time and he taught. Great coaches keep teaching. In the good times and the bad times, they're always teaching. Here's four things Jesus uh, did while they were on the boat for them. Number one, he allowed water in the boat, but he didn't let them sink. As, as we're going through life, and we're working with our family, we're working with our kids, uh, we're, we're working w- with, the, with the people that we're leading, we're, we're working with our employees, volunteers, whatever it might be, uh, there is a balance between allowing water in the boat so they can deal, learn to deal with storms, but not letting them sink. You see, so often what we want to do is we don't want our kids to be troubled at all. We don't want the people we're leading to face any kind of trouble. So we calm the storm before they ever go through it. Or the moment they start going through a storm, we yank them out. But as you know, if you've raised kids in here, kids tend to grow up. Something about it, they don't stop growing. And one day, they decide they don't need you anymore. And here's the problem. This is what Jesus knew. One day he would be gone. He would not be in the picture. And if he calmed every storm immediately and didn't teach the disciples how to deal with storms in their life, if he didn't let them feel some consequences and the weight of things happening in their life, one day they would be out there on their own and they wouldn't know what to do and they would end up sinking. Every great teacher knows that sometimes you've got to let the storm happen. Jesus was letting the water in the boat fill up. And he's sleeping on a cushion. But he didn't let the boat sink. Where is that balance in our life between allowing our kids, allowing the people we're leading to grow up and to learn, but not letting them sink? The second thing that Jesus did as a teacher uh, was he remained calm. He remained calm. The the disciples, they're, they're shouting, Jesus, teacher, wake up. We're all going to drown. Jesus didn't jump up and look around at the storm and the water and the boat and start running around in the circles going, oh, myself, we're all going to die. Some of you got that. Y'all get that later. Oh, God, oh, myself, he is God. You'll get it. You'll get it. He, he He didn't lose his mind, but he stayed calm. He looked at the storm. He didn't trip out. He looked at the storm and he said, peace, be still. And the storm was still. And he went right back to teaching. You know, as a great teacher, as a great coach, when the storms are raging around us and everyone else is losing their mind, a coach has to be a source of calm and a source of peace. When your kids are losing it, men, when your wife is... She's bouncing off the walls. Are you bouncing too? Or do you say, peace be still in your family? Are you a source of calm? Or do you 
lose it with everyone else. Are you okay this morning? Talking about good coaching. Good coaching. Third thing Jesus did uh, was he stayed in the boat. What do you mean, Pastor Randy, stayed in the boat? Hey, listen, we know that Jesus could walk on water. In the middle of a storm, he did it at another time. In the middle of a storm, Jesus is just walking on water. Jesus could have said, hey, this boat's going down. See you guys, I'm out. And he could have just taken off to shore, walking across the water, and left the disciples there to fend for themselves. But he didn't do that. Because coaches don't leave when their team is in trouble. I I, want to challenge you in your life. Don't leave when the storms are raging. That's when you're needed the most. When times are troubled, when things aren't going well, don't bail because you can. And leave your kids, leave your family, leave your team fighting for their lives. Jesus stayed in the boat. Stay engaged. Number four uh, was simply this. Jesus built faith, not fear. Notice what he said. He said, do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? Here's what he's saying to them. Guys, we've been working on this faith issue for a while. And now we're in an opportunity for you to put it to work. I've got to remind you, this is what we've been working on. And he built faith in them. And he pushed down fear. Every great coach builds faith in his players. Builds faith in his kids, faith in his students, faith in his employees, faith in his family. And he pushes down fear. You were prepared for this. You can handle this. You can do this. Jesus was a teacher. Second thing that we learned from the greatest coach ever is that every great coach inspires. So every great coach teaches, but also every great coach inspires. John chapter 14, Jesus is at the end of his life, and he says uh, to his disciples, he's, he's talking with them, and he's, and he's telling them, guys, I'm leaving. I just want to let you know, I'm leaving. And he says, well, you know where I'm going. I'm going to be with my father, and you know the way to get there, because I'm going to prepare a place to you. And they say, Jesus, we don't even know where you're going, much less how to get there. Philip says, okay, Jesus, you're going to the Father. If you'll just show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. Jesus said, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show show him to you? Now watch right here. This is where it gets good. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is me? The words I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does his work through me. So here's what he's saying. The Father has been working through me. You're worried and you're concerned, but the Father's been working through me. And just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. What's Jesus doing right here? He's reminding them of what they had seen in their lives. You've been walking with me for three years. You've seen me raise the dead. You've been seeing me heal the sick. You've seen me raise the crippled man and he's walking. You have seen me do these things. Have you ever noticed that inspiring people start by telling inspiring stories? Keep going right here. That's what Jesus does. And he says, now he goes, I tell you the truth. 
anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. And get this, here's the inspiration. And even greater works. Because I am going to be with the Father. Now, notice what he says. All the stories that you're all excited about, and you remember those, and they build your faith, and they inspire you. He says, not only are you going to do that, but you can do even greater things. As a matter of fact, you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Notice what he did. He took the limits off. One thing I have always known from my father is this. Every great thing he has done in his life, he believes I can do that and more. From the time I was a boy, I watched him do great things. And he always told me, you're going to do this and you're going to do more. As a father... I don't want to be the limit for my family. I want to be the floor that lifts them up. I want to inspire my kids to dream big. That's the first thing Jesus did. He, he helped them dream big. You can do anything. You can do anything. He's helping them dream big. Wh whatever you ask, that's what we can do. Dream big. I, I, I want to challenge you, fathers, coaches, mothers, whoever is here, help your kids dream big. Don't put a ceiling on their dreams, but give them a foundation to which to lift them up. The second thing is, I want you to notice the, work that, the, the word that Jesus used. He used the word work. Interesting word here, because what Jesus did was hard work. What Jesus did wasn't easy. It was hard work. Jesus expected himself to work hard and succeed, and he expected his disciples to work hard and to succeed. You know what? We ought to expect more from the people we're coaching. Don't expect them to be perfect, but I expect my kids to know how to work hard, to give 100%, and I'm expecting them to succeed. Because I'm teaching them and I'm putting in them what I know God is wanting to do in their life. And I'm putting the tools they need to be successful. And I'm expecting them to work. He said, greater works than these shall you do. Not greater easy things. Greater works than these shall you do. He expected them. He said, you're going to do it because Jesus expected his disciples to succeed. Do you expect the people you're coaching to succeed? Do you expect your employees to succeed? Or do you tell them to go do something and you just sit back and wait and you, say, you turn, to, turn to your coworker and say, just get ready, it's about, to come. it's about to be bad, just watch. Do you get your iPhone ready and you lift it up and, and you're, just, you're just ready, watch this, this is going to be funny right here. What do you expect? I think we ought to expect our people, our kids, our family to work hard and to succeed. Number three. He empowered them with the Holy Spirit. In verse 15 through 17, he said, he, he said I, um, verse 15 through 17 for me. I'm sorry. I, got, I, missed, I jumped ahead. He empowered them with the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm giving you what you need to do what I've accomplished you to do. John 14, verse 15 and 17. 
He said, and if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Jesus said, I'm leaving you with someone that can empower you to to accomplish everything that you need. I want my kids to know, every time we go play a ball tournament, every time they take tests, every time when I get a chance to pray for them, I lay hands on them and I pray for them. Father, help them to do their best. Help them to play at their best, but God, help them to uh, empower them with the Holy Spirit to go above and beyond. Help them make better grades. Help them act better, respond better, talk more clearly. Help them throw the ball harder. Help them to make more uh, plays. Help them to do better. And may they always know that it was the Holy Spirit, not just themselves. I tell my son all the time, one of his, his dreams is to pitch for the Astros. Son, when you're pitching for the Astros, and they interview after the game. He was talking to me the other day. He said, Dad, I think on my first game, I'm going to throw a no-hitter in my first game for the Astros. He said, what would that be? I'd be I said, son, that'd be historic. Like, that's never been done. And he's like, I think I'm going to do it. And I said, son, when you're done, and they interview you, you say, the Holy Spirit empowered me to do it. And then number four, Jesus encouraged them, and he left them an encourager. When you read uh, in my Bible here, um, and you read verse 16, and it says, I'm leaving you another advocate, there's a little asterisk beside it. And I don't know if your Bible has this or not. Down at the bottom, it says it's advocate. It's either, the, the word is paraclete, and it's either translated advocate or comforter or counselor. Or get this, encourager. Jesus encouraged his disciples and he left the Holy Spirit, the encourager, to keep encouraging them. You know what? As coaches, we've got to keep encouraging. Because how many of you have lived life long enough, you know that there's always somebody trying to pull you down. Every time you get a step up, there's someone there trying to yank you back down. Who do you think you are? You know what? My, I, I've got, it's my job to encourage my family. Encourage my wife. You can do this. Encourage my kids. No, you can do this. Dad, I'm not sure. I'm sure you can do this. Dad, I, I, I struck out. People strike out all the time. Get back in there. Attack the ball. Hit me a double right here. Because our kids need encouragement. Be an encourager in your life and make sure that the Holy Spirit is at work encouraging day in and day out. Can I get an amen this morning? Third base. We're going somewhere. A great coach reconciles. What do you mean by that, Pastor Aaron? What are you you talking about? I'll just tell you this. When I'm coaching, throughout the season, it seems like I'm always in a place where I'm trying to pull the team together. You coaching, I, I, right now, my daughter, they're all 12, 11, 12, and 13 years old. If you've, any of you have ever been a 12-year-old girl or been around 10 or 12 of them that spend a lot of time together, you will understand that there is a lot of drama. 
He did this. She did that. She said this. She texted her and not me. She invited her and didn't invite me. She invited the whole team and I didn't get an invitation. Did you check your phone? No, it's broken. It's always something. She told me to do this. She yelled at me. She did this. It's always something. And then worse than the 12-year-old girls is the parents. And you end up playing a role of always trying to build a team, pull people together, go, be a go-between. You're trying to reconcile people, say, guys, we're going to work together. It's going to be okay. She didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. I know the coach said that, but just relax. He was being okay. He was caught up in the moment. Give him a break. He really loves your kid. He's trying to help. No, your kid is not benching him because he's mad at him. He's benching him because they're terrible. But anyway, <laughs> I wouldn't say that quite like that. Um, but, but the point is this, as a coach, we're always trying to reconcile a house or a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus, the greatest coach of all, one of the reasons he came to this earth was to reconcile man back to God. That's what he did. John chapter 8 He's, he's walking through the market. He's walking through the streets. And they drag a woman and, and throw him at his feet. And they throw this woman down. And they say, now Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says that she should be stoned. What do you say? Jesus just drawing in the dirt. They kept on pushing him. Watch right here, verse 7. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Jesus could have stoned her. In fact, he was the only one there that could have stoned her because he's the only one that had never sinned. And yet he didn't. He made a statement. Here's what happened. One by one, they all began walking away. And so Jesus stepped in. He intervened. When others wanted to stone. A good coach intervenes when everyone else is ready to stone each other. They intervene and they bring peace. You know, theologians tell us, uh, uh, some of them tell us, and, and I don't know this to be true, but this is what they tell us, that when Jesus was down riding in the sand, some believe he began writing names of men standing around there. These leaders that had caught the woman in the act of adultery. Maybe even the man that she was caught with. And, and he is writing names. And when he stood up, he didn't just say, let he is, who is without stone, uh, out sin cast the first stone. But he was literally looking into the eyes of men and saying, let the one of you that hasn't committed this very sin cast the first stone. He was saying, you're so busy trying to stone her for something you yourself have done, you just haven't been caught for it. But a coach steps in and says, no, 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 no. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Let's come together. Here's another one for you. Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll come back to this in a minute. But in Matthew chapter 5, he's preaching along. Uh, and, and he gives them a verse, or what we have is a verse. But one of his big statements uh, was simply this. 
In 5, uh, verse 30, 43 and 40, uh, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong verse, guys. Verse 43 and 44. You have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I want you to note here, Jesus loved when others hated Every great coach has to know how to love and reconcile and bring people together, especially when it's people that others have hated. It's justified to hate them because they're your enemies and they've persecuted you. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not the kind of coaching that I do. Great coaches reconcile. Third one is simply this. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He has been crucified. He's got nails in his hands, nails in his feet, a crown of thorns on his head. He's got blood pouring from every part of his body. He's been ripped to shreds and he's hanging there. And Jesus looks down at the very people who crucified him and says, Father, forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing. Because Jesus forgave even the people that had crucified him. As a coach, as a father, as a mother, can you forgive? Can you reconcile even the people who have been actively crucifying you? Because that's what Jesus did. And then we'll take this last piece home. Are you all all right out there today? Okay. A great coach holds us accountable. A great coach holds us accountable. You know... In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous sermon ever preached. It was, uh, it, it's been preached for 2,000 years. It's been quoted and misquoted all the time. And, and in chapter 7, he's bringing it to a close. And just in a quick synopsis, he starts out and he says, Don't judge or you will be judged. He says, Don't call out your brother for the speck in his eye when you have a log in your own eye. How are you treating people? How are you judging people? Then he said, teaches them how to pray. He says, pray and keep praying. Knock and keep knocking. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Then he gives them the golden rule. You know the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He gives them the golden rule. Then he says, hey, and by the way, there's a narrow gate and a wide gate. The narrow gate will lead you to heaven. The narrow gate will lead you on the right direction, on the right way. But it's narrow, and many won't find it. The wide gate's easy. Lots will find that one. Lots will flow through. But the narrow gate is hard to find, and many will, will not be able to take it. They'll give up. Then he says, oh, and by the way, you know a tree by its fruit you know a tree, tree by, you know a person by their actions. You know if, they're gone, have they, if they've gone through the narrow gate by the way their action, actions are. You, you know if they're living for me by the way they're acting. Actions matter. How you live matters. You track it with me? Jesus is preaching. It's hardcore right here. If you say you're a Christian but don't act like a Christian, Jesus says you're not really a Christian because you know a tree by its fruits. Then he says, he preaches to them about true disciples. He says, there are a lot of people that will say they cast out demons in my name and they did great exploits in my name, but 
I didn't know them. And they won't get in because it's not about the hype. It's not about the miracles. It's about the relationship. It's about if they live for me. It's about if they know me and I know them. Jesus had said in John 14, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Here's what he said. You know a tree by its fruit. And if you love me, uh, you're my true disciple. If you live for me, if you act like me, if you do what I say to do, but if you don't, here's the problem. He ends with this last one. Some will build their house on a solid foundation, the foundation of my words, the foundation of my commands, doing things the way I told you to do them, living things the way I told you to live them, living in relationship with me. But others will live, will build their house on sand, on man's ways, on their own ways. And when the storms come, not if the storms come, but when the storm comes, the one who builds his house on the rock will stand, but the one who builds his house on the sand will fall away. He gave them a standard, and he said, I am expecting you to follow me and have a relationship with me, to listen and follow my teaching and my standard and my command. You're wondering why I have a home plate around my neck? It's kind of heavy. I want to play a video for you really quickly. I'm almost done, and then I want to tell you a story, and we're going to close. Uh, but I want to play you a video, and i just be honest with you. Um, I'm very proud of the kid in this video. You may have seen it on my, on my Facebook page. Uh, so bear with me. It's Father's Day, and uh, uh, Pastor Chris said uh, he wanted to honor me, so this is how I want to do, because it's, it's Father's Day. So roll this video for me, if you really will, very quickly. How about some Little League Baseball District 32 elimination game in the nine-year-old bracket? Nederland traveling to Hampshire for that. Horse, they're going to strike first. Moore slipping it right past the second baseman. Grammer, he's going to come around. And he's going to score, then the throw, well, it's going to get away. So here comes Mr. Clark. He will score as well, 2-0. Hampshire Finette, got to love the slide there. 3-0 Longhorns, though, until Drew Babbitt. He's going to score on this pass ball right here. Niederland is on the board. After that, though, the big man, Clark, he's going to settle down on the hill. Look at this pitch, right on the corner. Strikeout ends the frame, and Hampshire Finette. They eliminate Needle. The final on this one. That's my boy right there. Boy, you couldn't fit his head in a helmet. It wouldn't, it wouldn't go down. Mine either. You're right, Pastor Lisa. So my son's a pitcher. He's eight years old. He made the eight-year-old All-Star team, the nine-year-old All-Star team. And uh, he's a fantastic little pitcher. I'm really proud of him. Let me ask you a question. For some of you that played baseball, maybe coached baseball, maybe know a little bit about baseball, you like to watch the Astros, whatever it might be. At eight years old, Little League, how wide is home plate? Anybody know? Take a guess. 26 inches? No, sir, a little big. 14's closer? 17 inches. 17 inches. It's home plate right here. 17 inches. 17 inches. My son, at eight years old, is required to, to, blow, to throw the ball over a plate that is 17 inches wide. If it doesn't, it's not a strike. It is a ball. Pretty tough to do at eight years old. When he moves up to big leagues or to, uh, to uh, Babe Ruth, how wide is the plate? Take a guess. 17 inches. If he doesn't throw the ball over the plate, it's not a strike. He gets to high school ball. 
Anybody play ball in high school? A few of you, all right. How wide is the plate in high school? Hey, it's not trick questions, guys. Y'all can, y'all can stay with me here. 17 inches. 17 inches. They go to college ball. College World Series is going on right now, if you care. My son and I love to watch it together. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. 17 inches. Get to the minor leagues. They don't widen the plate. 17 inches. Tomorrow night, I'm going to be watching the Astros with my boys. And uh, at home plate. How wide? 17 inches. When you make it to the major leagues, you get a major league pitcher. You can't throw the ball over the plate. You know what they do to you? They send you back to the minors. What they don't do is they don't come to you and they say, hey, you can't throw it over 17 inches? No problem. We'll make it 18 for you. Oh, you you can't throw it to 18 inches? We'll make it 20. Oh, you still can't get to 20? Hey, how about we just widen it even a little more? What do you need, 22, 25 inches? As wide as you need, we'll keep widening home plate to make sure that you're successful. They don't do that. We don't widen home plate so that everybody can pass and everyone feels good about themselves. Let me ask you a question. Do we widen home plate in our own lives at home? As fathers, are we widening home plate for our kids, for our spouses in our marriage? God gave us a standard, but it's not easy. He said it's a narrow gate. But we want everybody to feel good about themselves. So we widen home plate. We change the standard. What about this one? Have we widened home plate in our country? Our country says it's okay. So we assume the Bible says it's okay. We widen home plate. We change the definition of sin. We widen home plate. What about in our school system? We strip teachers of the tools they need to be successful. And when our students can't pass the test, what do we do? I will just change the test so everybody can pass. We're widening home plate. What about this one? Have we widened home plate in our churches? In our efforts, and and you hear me talk about this to say everyone is welcome. Do we allow people just to continue to live in sin and never tell them the truth? Never tell them that there is a narrow way. Never tell them that there's only one way to Jesus. Never tell them that there is something called sin. Are we widening home plate? Here's what the Bible says. It 
2 Corinthians 5 and 10. For we, who's he talking to? Believers. We will be called to account and must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what has been done in the body, good or bad. That is, each will be held responsible for his actions, his purposes, his goals, and his motives, and the use or misuse of his time and his opportunities and abilities. This is the truth of the Word of God right here. There will come a day when I will stand before the Father at the judgment seat and I will have to give account for my life. Did I widen home plate? Because when I get to heaven, I say, man, God, I just widened home plate so I could, you know, feel good about myself. And, you know, it was acceptable in society and everybody said it was okay. And and so I just went with it. But God's going to say, no, no, no. I don't widen home plate for anyone. Everyone can get in, but home plate doesn't get widened. We will be accountable. I want to say, as Joshua said, the end of his life, chapter 24, verse 23 and 24. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. And if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose Today, whom you will serve? Would you prefer the gods of your your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That's what I want to say. For me and my family... I'm the coach of this team, and we're going to serve the Lord. And we're not widening home plate. I'm not changing it for my 8-year-old or when he's pitching for the Astros, when he's living it up big time. The home plate will not be widened in our life. The Word of God doesn't change for me, and it doesn't change for you. It's still going to be the same. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I I want to challenge today as as I leave and... And and, I mean, as we close, I want to challenge today. And I I want to speak to men and women and, and everyone alike, those watching at home. But for just a moment, I want to speak to men. And first, I want to ask you, have you widened home plate in your own life, your own standards, the way you live? Have you given yourself a pass? Have you given your marriage a pass? Have you just, well, it's going to be okay. I'm better than the next guy in your home, with your family, in your lifestyle, at work, and how you go about your day. And, and I want to I ask, how many men, whether you're fathers today, married today or not, but just men, I just want to speak to men. And all the books say, don't ask men to do what I'm about to ask you to do. But I'm going to do it anyway. If you would say with me and stand with me, and say, Pastor, I want to be a leader in my home, in my life, in my own life, in my family. And I refuse to widen home plate, but I'm going to stand on the Word of God. And I'm going to say, as for me and my family, whether it's a future family or a current family, we're going to serve the Lord. If you want to make that declaration with me, would you stand? I want to pray a blessing over you.
convinced that if we had men of God, like I know you are, that would stand up and make this declaration, things could turn around. I want to pray a blessing over you. Ladies, if you're sitting there, pray, pray, pray a blessing. Uh, just reach your hand out. If you're husband, spouse, friend, family, whoever it is. Father, I declare a great blessing over these men of God today. Some have done this and they have lived strong for you and they have lived courageous and they could go before you today and give a great account of their lives. Others have made some mistakes, but God, we're all here together today saying we will be the ones to stand strong, to stand on your word. We're not widening home plate under pressure or for anyone, but God, we're going to live on your word. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them today, that you would give them strength, that you would give them courage, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them guidance, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and empower them and encourage them and strengthen them, oh God. Do a great work in our lives today. Let the men of triumph stand strong now and forever in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.